You are tuned into another edition of World of Noise on X-Ray FM and the X-Ray Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bob Ham, And each week I take a spin through the local music scene with interviews and features on the artists and people who are keeping the music community alive, even during this strange time we're living in. Later on in the show, I'll be speaking with the members of Boat, a long-running indie pop group from the Northwest that just released their latest album, Tread Lightly, on the Portland label Magic Marker Records. But first... Lisa Schoenberg is one of the most fascinating artists in the city, combining her interest in music and visual art with her curiosity with the sounds of the natural world and her interest in such subjects as ecology and entomology. She helped put together a book called The Hylaeus Project, which used photography and art and music to draw attention to dwindling bee populations in Hawaii, and her project Amplifying the Tropical Ants uses bioacoustic analysis and music with her band WOW to explore ant acoustics in the Brazilian Amazon. But here in town, she's primarily known for her work as a drummer, starting with her work as a member of the post-punk trio Explode Into Colors, a group that was named Best New Band by Willamette Week in 2009, and ever since splitting up to work on their own projects, have been popping up in town in recent years to play the occasional show. She's also the leader of Secret Drum Band, a percussion-heavy ensemble that has included contributions from Marisa Anderson, Sarah Lund of Unwound, and Jose Medellis of the 1939 Ensemble. If that weren't enough, she's also a drum teacher and has been using her knowledge to publish and revise a book called The DIY Guide to Drums, an easy-to-use and charming document that is a wonderful resource for both novice drummers and those looking to improve their percussion chops. As the fifth edition of the book was just published, it was the perfect time to call Lisa up via Skype to learn more about the creation of this book, her many, many projects, and learn some of the names of the people who mentored her as she was getting started as an artist and a teacher. Lisa Schoenberg, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. How have you been faring in the midst of this pandemic? Um, pretty good. We had a little incident of sickness but um, with my partner, but now he's better. And we've adjusted pretty well to the stay at home. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to work much, be creative much during this period? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I've developed like some new practices just because we're stuck at home. Um, and we were like quarantined for two weeks. So I literally didn't leave the house except to go to the doctor with my partner twice for two weeks. Um, but yeah, so I have a new like field recording practice that I started with a couple friends. I had started it on my own at first and I was going out as close to dawn as I could um, to record the soundscape at sunrise. And then I was chatting with my friend in Amsterdam and I invited her to join me. And so we, she would join me at my sunrise and then I'd join her at her sunrise in, the e- in my evening, 9 p.m. And then we invited a third friend who lives in Bogota, Colombia. And so we've been recording at each of our sunrises daily. I, and, and sometimes we miss them because my friend in Bogota is 3.45 a.m. for me. So I only do that, right. one. I only do that one like once or twice a week um, just for keeping healthy and getting enough sleep. Um, but um, we've been doing that. And um, so we're creating this like archive um, that we have a lot of ideas of what to do with the recordings and so and we might make them available to other people and 
we're still figuring out that part, but it's that's been really fun. Why Dawn in particular? Because the Dawn soundscape is really like phenomenal, like across the board in most most places in the world. Um, and um, so it's like when you have the most probably the most activity of the day. And then it also happens to be when there's less like human interference and like hearing those things. And the Dawn soundscape has um, been like much more like vivid and um, clear in the, in the, in the pandemic because there's not as much traffic noise. There's not as much, there's so much less air traffic. Like if I hear a plane, it's like, we're like, wow, there's an air. <laughs> so um, it's been cool to like tune in really closely. We record 10 minutes each time, but just even in that 10 minutes, sometimes I end up staying out there for like a full hour because I get really into it. Um, but um, yeah, it's, and I, the larger like acoustic ecology, like soundscape community around the world has, people have been noticing that the soundscape in general and in the morning when it's really spectacular has been like more like easier to hear and 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 it might be a fact the part of it might be that we're listening more attentively because we don't have as much distraction like i know sure. i I, ne- I did not get up at six five forty five, and i was not sitting on my porch at six in the morning ever before and so like it's a new practice for me so like i don't have much to compare it to from before but um okay yeah. anyways that's what i've been doing so. <laughs> that sounds amazing i can't wait to hear some of these things yeah we have a lot of recordings well part of the reason that we are speaking is that you just released a new edition of your book the diy guide to drums so let's start from the beginning of that project how did you hit on the idea to create this book um i wrote the book for the first time in 2002 so i had just a year, year and a half before I wrote the book, I'd moved out to Olympia, Washington from upstate New York. And um, in in that move, like I, I was introduced to DIY culture and the punk community um, for the first time. Like, I hadn't even heard of Riot Girl. <laughs> I mean, I'd heard of some of the bands, but not like the culture. I wasn't familiar with the culture or what it meant. Um, and I just graduated from college and I moved out west and like, um, and I was like, wow, this is super cool. Everyone just thinks that you could just do whatever you that You don't need to be like, you know, you need to some like someone to say, now you're able to write a book. You just write a book. And so I really like took to that ethos like really quickly. And um, it was already in me in some way. And I was really excited to find that community where like these ideas were supported. And so I had been teaching drums at that point on and off for like since high school. I always had a couple students and. I was really into writing and teaching. And so I was like, it made sense for me to make, make a book. And everyone around me was making zines. And, um, you know, I'm just going to Kinko's and photocopying them. So I'm like, I, I want to make a book. I want to write something. And it made sense to make it about drumming. So that's how it happened the first time. And this really cool project called Project Bookmobile, Bookmobile Livre. They're Canadian, French Canadian. They came through Olympia and um, they were teaching bookbinding workshops. So I took their workshop and I sewed my first edition by hand. Wow. So that all these things kind of converged and that's how the book happened the first time. Wow. So what edition are you up to at this point? The fifth edition. This is the fifth Mm -hmm. edition. So beyond just the binding portion of it, what has changed in the book from your first edition to this new one that's out now? Well, when I wrote it, I was like 23, and now I'm almost 43. So the approach has changed. I mean, it has evolved, like with 
the way I think and the way I might talk or write. Like I did that all the first one. I think I did it in a typewriter. Uh, <laughs> so I was using at the moment. And then at some point the, in the middle, the next editions, it was handwritten. And now like I have more skills with Photoshop and computers in general. So I made my own font. I made my own handwriting into a font. Okay. I use this time. Um, the, content has just really evolved since I have like a whole like another 20 years of teaching drums behind me so I've been taking notes while uh, when I teach if some if a good idea comes to mind I, I jot it down and on the on the piece of paper in the back of my notebook and so I had all those pieces of paper full of notes and that went into the book so I feel like I have a better, more evolved perspective on how to teach and like what works and what doesn't and the order to, to introduce concepts in. And so, okay. yeah. Where did you get your start as a drummer? Um, in school, in the public school system in New York, in, in Staten Island, New York, where I grew up. So I, I auditioned for band in fourth grade and the, my teacher, Mr. Corin, he encouraged me to try the drums and I liked it immediately. So that's where I started. And then I played in like community bands after school because I was mm. really into it. And um, jazz band and marching band and pet band and all that concert band. Wow. Yeah. You did it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so besides that teacher, I mean, who helped you along the way? Who were some of the, the important people that you learned from? Um, my in um in middle school i had a friend who was also a female and a drummer and i feel like we kind of like bonded um and encouraged each other her name was melissa DeBello. and then um in high school i had this like super rad band teacher who was probably around 26 years old at the time linda bonicelli we called her mrs b she still plays she's a sax and flute player she's on staten island and she had just like started teaching and we had no school bands because it had fallen apart a number of years ago and she started an after school band program and we were just we just loved her and we were all so excited and um so she was a really big influence on me and then I said I wanted drum lessons, and she's like, well, my best friend, Teresa Figiani, teaches, so you should take lessons with Teresa. And so I started learning with Teresa for all of high school, and she was a huge influence on me as well. So it was really cool to have, like, two, like, amazing women, like, um, mentors and teachers when I was that young. So Absolutely. So when did you start playing in, like, your own band, start making your own music? Was that something that happened back east, or was that when you came out this way? Um, I mean, me and my sister, like, wrote songs when we were little kids, even before I played the drums. Like, so I've always, like, wanted to write music. You know, we just record it on the cassette player thing. Um, but, um, it, my first band I had in high school with um, this woman Lucy De Jesus and these two other these guys Greg Prasker and Jared Santora and we had a band called Smushed Moth and we played one show and it was at JCC Rock Fest and um, we wrote like half of the songs we wrote originals and half of them were covers and Lucy actually won the Grammy last year for best children's album oh wow <laughs> she's amazing but and they're all like wonderful people but um that was my first band um so we practiced like a whole lot and we only had, we had one show um it was really really fun that is fun yeah why did you move out here to the northwest what was the attraction um well I went to college in upstate New York and um I got really into studying insects and entomology and um i also like just had this like burning curiosity 
for the West Coast. And like, it's like, I wanted, I'd wanted to like be out on the West Coast since I was a kid and really get to know it. And I'd only been to California like twice. And I, so I was searching for someone online who studied ants who would be willing to like work with me. And I found this program at the Evergreen State College and the Masters in, Masters of Environmental Studies. And one of my best friend's fathers was encouraging us to move to the Northwest. He's like, you guys love trees. They have these huge trees. You're going to like <laughs> lose your mind like when you, once you see these forests. And so... Um, so I got into the grad school program. The professor, Jack Longino, said he'd love to work with me with the, on ants. And um, me and my friend moved to Olympia. So and she became a nurse out there. Wow. So, th- yeah, that's how we wow. mailed all of our stuff and got a plane ticket. And like, I'd never <laughs> even been there. I got into school. We, like, we just kind of went blind. That's yeah. amazing, though. Mm-hmm. Why ants in particular? Um... I, well, I've always had like a fondness for insects. When I was little, I don't think I thought I would study them, but I was always attracted mm-hmm. to them, curious about them. And then in, um, as an undergrad, I, I took all these ecology courses and um, one of them was a tropical ecology course that we went to Costa Rica for two weeks and I was just like blown away by the diversity of um, ants there as well as butterflies and and insects in general. But ants just seemed really cool. And they were also something that I could study in upstate New York. So we had a nature preserve on campus and there were these like amazing Formica ant mounds that just like lined this trail in the nature preserve. So I chose them as my study subject whenever I had to do like a project for class. And so it was like those combination of things. I mean, I just started to get to know them and love them and became familiar with them. And then I found um, Jack, Jack Longino, and he said I could study with him and his specialty is tropical ants. So that's how that happened. Interesting. Yeah. I'm also curious about how you've managed to blend these two interests of yours, the natural world and the world of sound together. Yeah. Um, when did that start for you? Um, that started when I was doing my graduate research for my program at Evergreen. So I, I did a lot of work in Costa Rica with Jack Longino and his wife, Nalini Nancarni. I got to work for both of them, which was amazing. Um, Nalini is Jack's wife. They're a couple and they both do this incredible work in Monteverde, Costa Rica and in the Pacific Northwest. And Nalini was always bringing um, artists and the topic of artists and the topic of just including reaching out to other people, she'd bring this up in our lab meetings every week. She'd be like, oh, I talked to a pastor last week. I'm going to bring a hip hop artist to a conference. And so she like um, introduced this idea of like artists working with scientists together. And so this was like planted in my head and I saw Nalini doing it and it was amazing how she was carrying it out. And so and I was already interested in sound. Um just being a musician, being tuned to sound. And so when I went out to do my field work in Costa Rica, I mean, it's it's amazing there. The soundscape is just incredible at any point of the day. And I'd find myself just sitting, listening, and I was like, started like writing down musical ideas based on what I was hearing. And I found that it was like so much fun. Like, I was like, oh my God, this is so much better than like listening to like yeah, any music, even my favorite music, and like making music based on that, I was like, oh my god, this is how I want to write music. I want to listen to sounds out in the world and write music. And so, 
I played around with that in the field a lot and I had a mini disc recorder and I was making field recordings everywhere I went in Costa Rica. I still have all of those and I'm, and, and I wasn't like really building compositions. I was just playing around with ideas for the most part. And then it was later on after um, I moved to Portland from Olympia that I started experimenting with soundscape composition. Um, yeah. Okay. I wanted to touch uh, a bit on your musical career. And though you've been playing for a while, as you've been talking about, I think a lot of people here in town got to know you as a musician, as you were a member of Explode Into Colors. Um, how was that experience for you to be in that band and to be in this group that was getting a lot of attention, especially here in Portland? Yeah, I mean, that was so much fun. I mean, ever since I was talking about like me and my sister making music when we were little, I had, I, I've, since I was a kid, I've been drawn to performing. I've been drawn to like being in front of audiences and sharing my work. And so, and in, in that, as part of it, like, I think my dad encouraged me a lot when I was little too. I had this like dream of like playing in front of big audiences and like becoming, you know, he was like, he would just say like, we'd be watching like um, a show, a concert on TV, or maybe we'd be at a concert like in giant stadium or something. And he'd be like, what if the drummer got sick? And like, we need a new drummer to fill in. And like, oh my God, I could totally do it. And I get really excited. So like I had the seeds planted in me and I feel like with Explode in the Colors, it was the first time that I really was playing in front of big audiences. Um, I previously played in front of like really enthusiastic packed audiences with my band Kickball and some other bands, but with Explode in the Color, it was like bigger. And there was this like possibility that it could get even bigger. And so I love that. I mean, I love the energy of a crowd, um, and I love that aspect of it, yeah. played not too long ago for a couple of shows you yeah, did yeah. I think at uh, Mississippi Studios but uh, is the band still a going concern is it technically just like broken up I mean what, what's the status there um we're not like we're not broken up um we had been broken up before our first reunion which was like a big benefit and then we had our second like reunion I don't know if it's a reunion the second time you're gonna figure that out because you're playing again then um that was like for a new year's show a couple of years ago and we talk about playing again and we'd like to I think we haven't because each of us has gotten so busy with other things and so it's like totally on the table for the future and there's things we want to do and there's goals we have um but we're feeling kind of relaxed about it excellent yeah well how did your current project secret drum band get started um that was in Olympia. Um, I um, well, I played in a percussion ensemble in college, and I always wanted to try composing for a group like that. Um, and so I, it was like, uh, um, I feel like I have the Olympia, like the energy of the DIY culture in Olympia to thank for that and inspiration as well to make me feel empowered to like be able to be like I'm just gonna make a percussion ensemble. Like why not? <laughs> so I, I asked like three of my friends to um, perform this and we practiced in my garage for a few months and I wrote this like 
this experimental percussion piece and we performed it at Ladyfest. Um, and then, so that happened, it was like eight minutes long, the piece. And then I kind of like put the project on the back burner until, um, I moved to Portland and then kind of brought it back to life and have been doing it ever since. Um, so yeah, that's how it, and, and, and when I moved to Portland is when the secret drum band it had its name already, but it kind of merged with the soundscape composition that I was starting to do. Well, the lineup for Secret Drum Band feels like it's pretty open or at least flexible enough where you can bring in people and do these smaller things or larger pieces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is that comfortable for you to just like have it be sort of a a nebulous thing in a way? Yeah, it's actually like really worked really well. Um, I mean, it does mean extra rehearsals and teaching people things again and again, but it, through that process, they do get refined, which is nice. Um, the setup gets refined, or the, you know, the instrumentation, the performance of it, um, and we get to work with all these awesome people. So like, it, I don't mind it at all, and it allows the flexibility to be able to go on tour or perform a show, um, travel and play whenever we want to, um, without being limited by like, say if there were the same five people in the band and someone couldn't go, then we can't do a thing, you know? And so that's been really nice. So it's worked in both ways. And so they're like secret drum band has so many people that are in the band that I would consider bandmates still. And some of them will like play for a while and then they won't be able to, and then they'll come back in again. Um, a lot of them end up playing on the album when we record a new album We'll be invite them back in to play. Um, and we've expanded geographically. Like we have one member in Massachusetts and then I have a different band that I call Wow UAU that's in Brazil. That's basically the Brazilian secret drum band. But um, Alan Wilson has become a co-director of Secret Drum Band with me, and so um, he runs it. He runs the Secret Drum Band, Secret Drum Band, and then the Wow band I do when, when I'm in Brazil. So, yeah. And there's another Secret Drum Band album on the way. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What can yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah, it's called Shuva, which means rain in Portuguese. And um, it's coming out in the end of June on Moonglyph Records, which is a label here in Portland. And we're releasing it on cassette, CD, and digital download. And um, there's nine tracks, and they're composed by myself and Alan Wilson. And then two songs we wrote with Heather Treadway, my bandmate from Explode in the Colors. She's like a one of those like peripheral kind of always in secret drum band members who actually doesn't perform shows but like write songs with us. So like okay. people have different roles in the band too, which is really cool. Um, and so that's coming out. That has songs from my Brazil work and time that um, Alan and Heather and I spent in. Um, there's a piece from Joshua Tree from work we did there. There's two works that Alan and I wrote from some research I did in Hawaii. And then there's two pieces we wrote based on Oregon places that were um, commissioned by the Oregon Native Plant Society a few years ago. So, 
Yeah, so it's like a mix of stuff, and the rain kind of, besides the Joshua Tree piece, is kind of the rain theme kind of runs throughout. Well, besides the new Secret Drum Band album, Shuva, that's on the way, and your new edition of the DIY Guide to Drums, I mean, what do you think comes next for you? What are you working on right now that you want to talk about or can talk about? Yeah. Um, I'm. One thing is, I'm like half like super sad and half like super excited about moving away from um, the Northwest to attend a graduate program at RPI in the fall. It's a PhD program in electronic arts. So it's like the school where the Center for Deep Listening is, where like Pauline Oliveros worked and stuff. So there's like a lot of going on there that I'm really excited to be part of. And I'm going to continue my soundscape um, work and soundscape composition and like sound acoustic ecology research in that program so i'm like gonna continue these relationships i have with my collaborators in brazil where we're researching ant sound and i've been i've become an artist in residence at the hj andrews biological station here in oregon near eugene and so i plan to continue to develop that relationship and continue to do sound studies and composition work there and then i'm also like hoping to like establish a new relationship with biologists and with sound artists in the Northeast so I could be also paying attention to what's going on in my, like, actually immediate surroundings there um, and have support for that and kind of framework for that. And then, um, so that's, like, the big thing that's happening, but in between now and then, and, like, I I don't know when that's going to happen. You know, the pandemic is in charge now, I guess, but um, I have a few things going on I'm part of a sound work called Freak Wave, and um, it's commissioned by some people in Europe. And they, there's 84 art, sound artists participating, and they've they've chosen seven geographical areas based on different bodies of wa- water in the world. And then each of those seven areas, they split into 12 frequency bands, and then assigned one sound artist for each frequency band. So you make a sound piece under a minute, but only you can use only this frequencies. Um, and then they're going to put all 12 pieces together and you can listen to it online and you can use the EQ they provide to like mix all 12 works. And wow. They're doing that. So they're going to release seven of them. So I'm doing that. Um, and then I'm, um, what else am I doing? I'm like, I know there's about like a hundred things. Promoting the drum book and um, working, I'm I'm working on compositions that I've been writing based on the ant research in Brazil and my work at the H.J. Andrews in Oregon, and that's kind of ongoing for the like, then will be released on future albums. Um, and I'm working on a piece for the new music gathering that's going to be in June. It was supposed to be in Portland at the end of June, and then. Now it's online, and so I'm, like, reorganizing, kind of redefining what that might look like, and I'm going to invite people who don't live in Portland to participate and kind of build an improv piece for that. Yeah, that's some stuff that's happening. It's quite a lot. Oh, and... Uh, There's more. (laughs) 
My partner, um, Anthony Brisson, he has a music project called Coordination, and I drum in it, and he is releasing a new album. He actually put it on YouTube this week in its full form as in the form of an alternative alternative score to a very popular movie from the 1980s. And so it's on YouTube now, and he's in the process of um, building up for the actual like official release where it'll be released on Bandcamp and all the other outlets but it has about like 15 different players from portland on it um anthony wrote like these wonderful songs it's really exciting so that's something i'm part of that's happening right now oh that's excellent so uh, folks can find that on youtube you say yeah and yeah Mm -hmm. i can give you the link yeah Mm -hmm. we can share that with folks and where can folks go online to uh, track your comings and goings and maybe get a copy of the diy guide to drums um, LisaSchoenberg.com is the best all-around place that has everything there. Um, yeah, Lisa, S-C-H-O-N as in Nancy B-E-R-G, because everyone loves to spell my name wrong. Um, and uh, where else? TomTom Magazine is publishing the drum book, and so you could also go to TomTomMag.com for the book. Excellent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Lisa Schoenberg, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about all of your many projects and giving people some insight into your working methods. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Thank you for talking, for asking me questions and asking me to talk. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. yeah. The members of the indie pop group Boat were perhaps better prepared for a pandemic than most. Though the group has been a going concern since the early part of the aughts and has had members cycle in and out of the group, they've slowly developed a working method that has allowed them to build songs slowly, starting with drum loops and rough melodic ideas, with each member filling in their respective parts on their own before it slowly gets massaged into a dense and insanely catchy tune. This also means that they take their own sweet time to make new music, especially as the men in the band all have day jobs and families and some are working in other groups. Which is why it took seven years for Boat's new album Tread Lightly to finally be released by Portland label Magic Marker Records. As with so many great albums, the wait was worth it as Tread Lightly is another gem of an LP, chock full of chipper pop tunes suffused with leader Dave Crane's arch lyrics that explore everything from getting older to recent health scares with humor and well-earned wisdom. Over a very full Zoom call, the five members of Boat joined me to talk about the creation of Tread Lightly, their busy creative lives, and how they've maintained a connection with their fan base during these unprecedented times. David, Mark, Jackson, Josh, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting our, to be here. Our pleasure. Excellent. So to ask uh, each of you in turn, uh, I mean, how have you been faring during this strange time that we are living in? Maybe you want to start with that, David. Yeah, uh, well, it's been, uh, it's been weird. Uh, I think we're fortunate all of us are able to, our jobs are still going on uh, kind of remotely. So we're all able to spend extra time with family, but also still get a uh, paycheck and everything. So we feel super fortunate. I know I do at least. And um, 
And so health-wise, we've all been good. And um, so in that way, it's been kind of a blessing to have the extra time with family and stuff and work remotely. Fair enough. Jackson, you want to chime in? Yeah, well, I'd say, I mean, maybe it goes without saying a little bit, but uh, I can't remember what the actual start date was, but Dave had the idea to start um, a boat song of the night on Instagram live, um, sort of following suit with what, you know, I think Ben Gibbard was the first one that caught my attention. Other artists were doing, um, and he and now the band have been able to, we've been able to keep that up every weeknight since, I don't know, March 18th, I think, something like that, or maybe 20th. Um, and that's just been a really, uh, I, I don't know, it's been something to look forward to every day and also a way to like, you know, reach out and actually see all of our, all the people in our universe, um, all the people that follow the band, all of our friends' bands. And it's just been, um, yeah, that's kind of kept me going on a lot of levels. Josh? Yeah, I, I, I want to emphasize that too. I mean, uh, like Dave said, really lucky. I mean, with there's people who are in tough situations right now. We're, we're lucky that, you know, working from home, paychecks are still coming in. Um, we're healthy. Uh, and along with all of that privilege, like there's definitely the challenge of being stuck at home. And, you know, I'm, I'm a raging extrovert. And so uh, <laughs> it's definitely hard in that way, but this, this song of the night thing, um, it's the closest thing to a regular social engagement that, that we can have in this time. And so it's been an, an incredible thing that just, uh, I agree, like look forward to every night. It's been great. And, uh, how about you, Mark? Yeah, I would say the same thing that song of the night has been really great. I'm always excited to see, um, see everyone there. And, uh, Dave always comes up with someone, uh, interesting to come on the show or, uh, yeah, you know, some funny sketch that kind of is very Dave. So it's good to be around that. And, and uh, also it gets to put us on the spot this week where we're kind of hosting the show. So uh, Josh did an amazing sort of Monday, Tuesday and uh, Jackson's tonight. And then I'm, I'm stressing for, for tomorrow. So, <laughs> but it's been really fun to do. <laughs> yeah. I woke up with like uh, some sort of stress dream last night, woke up at like five this morning. So I am, literally sweating it (laughs) for no no apparent reason but uh it's it's harder than it looks dave dave really like makes it look easy so fake tv shows are hard man yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh what sort of stuff have you been doing for these uh, song of the day things the song of the night yeah song of the night so it started as like uh playing we have a lot of songs it turns out which is cool and uh, so we were playing one song a night, like I would put all the songs in a hat and then uh, I would pull a song out of the hat or my wife would pull a song out of the hat and then I'd play that. Usually pretty badly at first because I was thinking I could just have a recall <laughs> to do it. But, uh, but since then, there's been a little behind the scenes. I practice a little more. And uh, so we do that and then we started having guests. So we, we had friends who were watching. We kind of have like a following, I feel like, of like 50 to 100 people who really follow the band really closely, which is kind of weird. They're kind of super fans, and so we've had several of them on. And then we've had um, some other music people that we like. Like we had Shelly Short, who's on the album. She, um, she sang, her and Darren Hanlon, they were in Australia. They uh, sang one night, and we had Sean Nelson um, from like Harvey Danger. Um, we had Bob Nastanovich from Pavement 
Uh, we just email people we like and say, you want to come on and do like a, so Bob Nastanovich, I know he's into horse racing. So we like a lot of times people play music, but we had Bob do like horse racing trivia and I came up with fake horse names and real horse names. And he had to, <laughs> he had to say yay or nay was the joke. And, and we had a friend who really likes jazz. We had uh, jazz or Raz, and it was like fake jazz names. And it kind of became a thing. We give away crappy prizes and stuff. It's, Jackson was a guest once, and he had a real minor league baseball team name or fake. And um, so just a way to kind of like have a friend on and, and hopefully make some people laugh or at least like uh, see each other. So it's been fun. And we had um, this, this last week, we've had some really cool people on because the other guys are hosting this week. And so they're kind of drawing on their kind of like musical backgrounds with other bands they've played in and friends from other towns and stuff. So we've had some people from Bellingham and um, some other folks on tonight, I think from Bellingham and other places. So. It's cool. kind of morphed into like a little bit of a variety show too. Like it was a music focused thing. And then like Dave was saying with these trivia games and, and having guests come, like there's one person who comes on and does like, um, like cooking demonstrations. Like they've done a couple of recipes. Like, so it's, it's evolved into this really cool uh, multifaceted thing. Like it's, it's always a boat song, but then it's a variety show or like a, like a late night show vibe beyond nice. that. And we have a friend who does like fake intros and announcements. So if people come on and say who their sponsor is, then he creates like a commercial with music and stuff for the background when they come on. And it's just been kind of like just a reason to laugh. And I think uh, been pretty fun. So every night, weeknights, so, yeah, what is the uh, the URL for your Instagram? Uh, it's sloppy popstagram. <laughs> Easy spelling. You can't yeah. mess that up. <laughs> Too many P's. But uh, yeah, sloppy popstagram every night at 7 Pacific Standard Time. Last nice. night we had the singer from Boxtrot on. This guy oh, Ramesh. Cool. Yeah, it was super cool. From Texas. And, and Johnny, who plays in a band uh, in Portland, I think. Uh, what is this man's name down there? Do you guys remember? Oh. Uh. <laughs> we'll, he, we'll get that. He plays with us. He's in the live boat. But he uh, lives in Portland. He, he plays keyboards. He hosted last night. So he, uh, like one of his favorite musicians is Ramesh and he loves Boxtrot stuff and they're on Magic Marker Records. So he um, called him up and he joined us. It was super cool. Very cool. Now, it has been some time since the last boat album proper that, uh, that seven years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, how to, how to explain the break to folks who might be following your career? Well, I think we, we started, uh, I know um, Mark and I started playing music together in 2004. And then I think Josh started playing in 2005. And then Jackson joined us in 2007. And so like, it's been a long time. Like we, we really, we played pretty consistently from like 2004 to 2011, I think. So about seven years of like really regular shows and stuff. And then, um, and then over the time after that, um, I think we've all kind of had different things either pop up or other musical projects or other things in our lives. I know uh, everybody else in the band has a kid other than me. <laughs> That's been <laughs> one of the big things they've been busy with. But, but I also, um, I think just like bands, you know, relationships, it's kind of, uh, you know, they evolve, I guess, in terms of like how important they are. So like, I know it, for a long time, it was the center of a lot of our lives. And then I think, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. And um, so starting, in the last couple of years, um, Jackson and I were, I was doing another band called Unlikely Friends with a, with a guy in uh, Olympia, this guy Charles, <clears throat> and um, Jackson would produce and record the stuff and sometimes play, play on the albums. 
And so we started, Jackson and I started sending each other just different files. Jackson's really good at, he would come up with a bunch of drum beats and then put them in a folder and name them after baseball players, which I always really liked. It was like opening a pack of baseball cards. You didn't know what, like I forget some of the names. It was like Ricky Henderson. You don't know what that's going to sound like. And then there was like uh, Dave Winfield and different people. And so, um, so I'd open up these drum beats and then try to make like a song to them and uh, send them back to Jackson with lyrics and some guitar and stuff. And then he would chop them back up and rearrange them and send them back with more drums. <clears throat> and then eventually that just kind of evolved into all of us getting together and working on these kind of like shells of songs and developing them. So I think it just was natural. I think like we all kind of went from maybe just different times where the band was more of a priority, but we've always been in touch and always been friends and, Josh and I are brother-in-law, so we see each other a lot. And, uh, oh. and so we just, um, I don't know, like the, the relationships have always been there and sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse and then now for the better. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think we're all getting along as well as we've ever gotten along. And I think uh, just the excitement of, it's just fun to work on projects, you know, with friends and, um, and kind of make something out of nothing, you know, it's fun. So about how long did that process then take between like getting these first drum loops and then the finished product that we've heard with Tread Lightly? What do you think, Jackson? Yeah, I think it was about two years ago, May, that I started just laying some drum beats and putting them into a Dropbox. So yeah, it's kind of crazy that it's been two two full years. It sounds kind of kind of bad. Our first like real tracking session for the record was about this time last year. Okay. Now, David, are you someone that has like a stockpile of lyrical ideas sitting around that you're waiting to cherry pick from, or do you have to wait until you hear some music first to get inspired to try to find the right melody and words to connect with that song? It's, it's kind of weird. So it's like Jackson will send these drum beats and then I kind of just, I'll put an instrumental on it. And usually I'll put, so I use GarageBand a lot. And so sometimes he'll have a drum beat there and I'll make like, three kind of melodies like on guitar three chord progressions and then just let them sit for a couple of weeks and then go back and which one did i remember you know like stood out the most and then try to make lyrics to that one and it's usually really spontaneous and like i think that's the thing is a lot of the lyrics and stuff are just subconscious like have a pad of paper what comes to me first and then kind of refine it and do a couple changes but i try to kind of stick uh, and try to think about it too much because I think when I do try to think about it too much, it just seems to, uh, I don't know. I think you kind of can't steer. There's like a certain emotional thing, response that you have to certain melodies or certain instrumentation or, and, uh, if you try to steer it too much, I think it just loses something. So, so uh, most of the lyrics are just total improv, uh, after having some music in place. And, um, and then like I refine it a little bit, you know, I, I think, uh, like I read the Beatles had some crazy song titles that turned into songs that we all know and stuff. And I don't think there's anything like that wild, but, um, but I try to, you know, refine it and kind of create, if I have an image in my head, make sure the words portray that to somebody else. I try not to have it be too vague or, you know, just filled with pronouns or something. (laughs) But at the same time, I mean, are these lyrics that you're writing, really connected with stuff that's happening in your life at that time. I imagine they would have to be. Yeah. Well, so there's one song, the song tread lightly. Like I, um, during the last couple of years, I had a surgery for, um, this tumor that was growing on my brain. And, uh, and I had a, I had a tooth surgery, like, uh, 
it's very exciting for the listener. But, uh, <laughs> that's a fake tooth. My front tooth is fake. I knocked it on a microphone uh, and like got electric shock. I got like my lip changed colors and everything. And, oh my uh, goodness. So I had this like lip surgery, not the lip surgery, but tooth surgery in the fall. And then I got diagnosed with this tumor thing in the winter. And so like, it was pretty intense in terms of like, those were the two biggest, I think like surgery things I've ever had in my life. And so it kind of like couldn't help but um, find its way into the words, but it wasn't really planned. It was just kind of, um, it just kind of came out. And I, I rather, I feel like that's kind of the, um, the best way, like the most powerful images are the ones that are already there in your head or something. So. And I am toothless and I am brainless and I am just taking up space on the couch and I am tired. I'm so sleepy and I'm slipping into dreams. Tread lightly if you need to. There's so much to run away from. And where does Johnny ask you? Um, I just try to be open. When I sit down to music or whatever, I try to just be open what's going on. So, like, that's a real clear one. I'm trying to get other stuff on the album. Like, it's silly, but, like, I look at Band Picture, our first song on the album, uh, Metabolism or whatever. Like, uh, I think, like, all the guys in the bands, our hairlines have faded to the back a little bit since the early band pictures. Like, it's that simple. It's that naive, you know, but it's just, like, it's something that just, I think it's ingrained in my head. You know, I look at these pictures or whatever, and I recognize it or, or I realize my metabolism is all weird. Like I'll gain four pounds, lose six pounds, gain four. Like, and I just think that's like middle age or something. I don't. Anyway, <laughs> but it's like uh, I don't know if you weigh yourself very often, but like it's just such a routine on myself of like getting on the scale that somehow that must work its way into the songs. I try not to. You know, it wasn't like I want to write a song about getting older and gaining weight or something. It's just <laughs> something that I I deal with every day, man. My hairline fades to the back. My metabolism's way off track They say there's wisdom when your hair turns white Your favorite dogs, they still might bite There's a lot on your mind all of the time There's a lot on your mind Now, how much does how much did these songs change from those early sort of if you want to call them demo versions of how you when you got the drum loops and started working on those to uh, what we heard what we hear on Tread Lightly? And I especially want to hear from uh, Mark and Josh about their contributions at that point. I mean, for me, uh, this is Mark. Just uh, I would come in on a day when um, Jackson. Uh, had some time to sit with me and make up bass things. <laughs> and, and so they, they, there was a lot less bass before I stepped in uh, on this one. But yeah, just, uh, yeah, Jackson and I would usually be there and, and we'd be playing around with things for a little bit and then just knock out a few in a, in a couple hours. And then, yeah, it was, it was really fun. <laughs> but yeah, just again, Jackson pulling some music out of people. That's kind of classic, uh, classic Jackson, especially for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Like Jackson's a great producer. Um, it, he's, he's really good about pushing for, for more or like different ideas in a way that we're all um, 
I mean, he just, we've, we've been working together for so long. I think he probably, I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious, but knows how to talk to me to get me to try something new or to do the same thing again, but better. Um, so we grow like the, the actual takes grow through that process. I think this one was a little different. Uh, another thing, you know, kind of the counterpoint maybe to Dave's comment, or maybe it goes along with it about like getting older. It's, you know, we're all hovering right around the 40 mark on either side of it. And it's really different being in a band at 40 than at 20. Um, and at least for me, it's a lot easier to think about the final product and to leave my ego out of it. Uh, whereas in my twenties, that was a constant challenge for me. Um, so like, there's a song on this record that I don't play on and that's cool. Cause the song sounds amazing, but it, I think on maybe three or four records back, I would have, you know, taken that personally and tried to force something in that maybe didn't sound, it, w- it wasn't like, serving the final product. It was serving me. Um, and so th- this process kind of allowed me to, to think about it more as like what's what's best for the final product from what these guys started come in when I can help and sit back when I'm not necessary too so I think that helped uh, helped us get to a really good record at the end because it was about what we were all contributing to uh, and not just what each of us was thinking about for ourselves to that end uh, is there is it a really democratic process recording like this or does someone have to sort of step up and say, no, this is done. We've got to move on. Like, or, you know, is it all, or is there a pretty consensus view about how the music turns out? I think, I think we have kind of a cool dynamic that everyone's kind of different with stuff. Like I think I'm, I'm very quick to be like, Oh, let's just release the demo. Or like I recorded something (laughs) in my phone and then videoed it off a screen with the audio. Let's put it out. (laughs) And like everybody's got kind of a different role with that. But I, I would say that Jackson is the kind of, we just learned, I think we know each other so well now, but Jackson's kind of like the gatekeeper of like um, sonic quality and audio quality <laughs> and what, you know, what, what things could be. I think he has such a good sense of like, um, here's an idea and then taking that idea to a finished product and like encouraging us all along the way. So I feel my perception is that we all kind of like yield to Jackson to say when things are done. Yeah. And I I mean, I would say like, I'm always such a huge fan of Dave's demos, you know, like they're truly at the heart of when I think he feels most free, you know, and like really at the essence of, of just like going for it and being, you know, completely uh, goofy at times or completely honest at times. Um, and I like, I definitely come from a place of like, you know, wanting to make cool, hi-fi, great sounding recordings, but I have also like really embraced like, how can we also incorporate the feel from that demo or actually just use the demo mm. uh, maybe with some enhanced layers? Like there's two songs actually tread lightly that Dave mentioned earlier about his brain surgery. That was one of the first things that we finished and it just like totally gave me chills and was just one of my favorite things in the recording process. We tried to like, you know, build it from scratch and I wasn't happy with kind of the feel of it, even though it was same tempo, same drum beat, same this and that. So we actually ended up going back to that garage band uh, recording that we had done a year before and just like uh, redoing a few layers of that, but really keeping the essence of it, keeping the original drum loop and in some of the places and redoing some pieces and 
kind of getting back to that demo feel, but just with a little bit better fidelity. So we, we did that on a few places actually on the record. I think, you know, Dave mentioned some of us having kids. Like I think about when we have company over at my house and I have my kids clean up and then my wife and I have to go and clean up after them before the company comes over. Like I think Jackson's kind of, he, he does that. Like we say, I feel good about what I've done. This thing's done. And then he goes in and makes it like, so it's actually done. He does that final adult layer, um, which, which is just a, a testament to his uh, big picture, his, his ability to look at this thing as a big picture. Um, and it's really cool. That's something that I've always taken away from your albums is how well-produced and well-engineered they are. There's so much going on in, in each song. And I mean, has that always been important to you as uh, to you guys as like listeners and creators of music? I think I've always, my whole thing started really with trying to make songs. Like I always would want to send friends like here's three songs that uh, are completely different sounding or like, bet you didn't know I could make one like this or with this instrument <laughs> or that. And so I've always liked, um, like I would do like kind of a three set of demos that I'd email to the guys or something. But like one, they, one would have to start instrumentally, one would have to start vocally and one would have to use the keyboard, which I'm not very good at. But like I would, you know, I was just thinking for variety because I think there's so many bands and so many times you put on an album and the songs are great, but the songs... Um, have the same exact instrumentation or same energy each song. And I just always, I think I gravitate more towards like, like I think of the White Album by the Beatles or something where it's like there's just different energy in every song and it seems like it's coming from a different direction. And I always kind of hope our albums sound like that or even a song sounds like that so that like when it gets to the chorus, you're like, oh, wow, what the hell does this happen? <laughs> I could see great examples of that in the, the records you have in the background. The you know radio listeners can't see this, but yeah. you know, I'm looking in the background. You get the Happy Birthday record, the yeah. first band record, and then behind your head the Maggot Brain. So oh yeah yeah, this is uh, <laughs> this is my work workspace as a principal. That they don't appreciate those very much. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask in particular about uh, the song Zombie State of Mind, which uh, I, I love the, the collage that's happening underneath the song at the very end with all the, the samples of people saying the name of the song. Uh, how did that idea come together and how was that to construct? What do you think, Jackson? You, you, you can start because it was your crazy idea. <laughs> well, there's there's a song. Do you know uh, the band Architecture in Helsinki? Yes. Okay, and they have that song. I forget the name of it. It's uh, and I forget the name. I, I know the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it though. But um, but there's a part where uh, all these voices chime in. They, they have like a little baby voice. They've got adult voices. I think they have like a dog barking in the background and stuff. And so I just thought. And I'm sure, I don't know how they did that, if they did it, if they planned it out very much or if it's just family members or what. But I just thought it would be cool to have um, kind of like a collage of all, like I really, I think we have like 50 solid fans. And they, uh, I was like, what if we could get all 50 voices on here? They'd be more excited. Like we hadn't had an album in a while. I was like, this will make them excited about they're going to be on the album. It's not just like <laughs> you pre-order it and your name's in the notes. It's like, no, you're literally on it. And, uh, and I think technology now allows for like a, uh, hotline situation i didn't know how it was going to work but that's where i left it to jackson where he can pick up the story i think <laughs> yeah we set up a, an 800 number hello you've reached boat please say zombie state of mind after the beep and we really didn't give i mean it was kind of the first trans transmission that boat had put out like 
it's true, we're making a new record, call this number, say this. And there was, oh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, some people called multiple times, but there was a lot of voicemails, like maybe between 50 and 75 or more. Um, and, you know, no context for the song. And we just knew that there was going to be this end piece where there would be this collage. And I just kind of laid them in, this outro piece, and put them through delays and weird stuff and tried to um, do a few passes where I was, like, placing them in the song and also manipulating them in real time so that there would be some cool movements and just kind of weird stuff happening. Um, and, uh, and I think it worked out. Like I just tried to get back to what Dave would be like, all right, let's just lay them in there. They'll kind of, it'll be a cacophony of voices and it'll be kind of epic. And I think we landed on something. That sounds great. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So uh, I just want to know like what, I mean, it's hard to predict the future, especially now, but I mean, is, is the hope that at some point towards the end of this year and into next year, you'll be able to do some more promotion for the album, touring, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think the, the Boat Song and the Night thing has been cool because we've connected with all these bands and uh, like literally all over the country so far. And uh, it'd be so cool to be able to play with them. And I still envision like getting a school bus or like a short school bus and doing like a Partridge Family type tour with a bunch of friends and bands. Like I still think, I almost think that after this, there might be a return to some of the positives of live music and the actual being there in person and not just looking on YouTube instead of going to the show or whatever. And um, So yeah, I think, at least for me, and I haven't run this by anybody, I think we got to do some East Coast shows, some West Coast shows, and, uh, and some weird shows. And uh, But it's really unclear when that would happen again, if it'd be few months a few years it's really unclear so just staying healthy well if anyone wants to hear more music from boat go to boat.bandcamp.com or as they said is it 7 p.m every weeknight yes. on instagram yes. yeah there's song of the night on their instagram account which is sloppy popstagram you can find them on facebook and twitter also be sure to check out uh, magic marker records to pick up a copy of the record and listen to more great music so thank you gents so much for being on world of noise today this has been a lot of fun thank you thank yeah, you thanks, this is awesome That's about it for this edition of World of Noise. Thank you to the members of Boat and to Lisa Schoenberg for joining me. And thank you for tuning in. Be sure to listen in next week when I'll be joined by singer-songwriter John Craigie to talk about his new album, Asterisk the Universe. And Jessica Graves will be on the show to talk about bringing her mother's indie label, Illumin Records, back to life and her post-punk band, Jay Graves. That's all next time on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening.